I don't know oh anyone God. walking the earth that doesn't have something that yeah. is like, gosh, if I could just fix this, if I could just do this better, you yeah. know, then somehow I'd be happier, the world would be happier, everyone would be better. And the reality is, is, is to me, the beautiful part of life is that none of us have that. Welcome to the Today I Am Enough podcast today. I am so thrilled to introduce you to Gainalyn Condi. She's an incredible author, speaker, and so motivating and uplifting. You're going to love the words of advice that she gives, the stories that she shares, and how real and raw she is with her stories and in helping you become better. Hello, welcome to the Today I Am Enough podcast. I'm so excited to be here with Gainalyn Condi. She has just written an incredible book that I've been reading, so we'll make sure she talks about that at least at the end of the podcast. But she does amazing things and has had some incredible experiences. So why don't you introduce yourself? Well, thanks for having me. I feel like this was destiny because I was working on this book, I think, before we ever even communicated or connected (laughs) on social media. And when I saw the name of your account, I knew that we were soul sisters at some level. (laughs) So I'm a writer and a speaker. And this book, um, You Are More Than Enough, that just has been released is my sixth book in the last three and a half years. Wow. Um, but I, I also love that I get to speak because writing is a very solitary experience, mm-hmm. but speaking connects me with people, yeah. and I've had a great opportunity to hear other people's stories and connect with people all over the world, and it's amazing to me how much God loves his children, but also how much people are struggling mm-hmm. out in the world, all areas of the world. And um, so I just kind of feel like this is a little mission right now. Um, I hope that, you know, I keep being used this way, but I also know that missions change. And so definitely just feel like I'm an instrument. And so we'll see how long this goes. But right now I feel like um, there's, there's a definite need out there for messages of hope and strength and authenticity. And it's awesome that your podcast speaks to that because it's so needed. Yeah, it's so, so, so important to share stories. Yeah. It's amazing how it can connect us right. and heal us. Yeah. My first, my first um, love as a writer was the genre of compilation books. So my first books, I Can Do Hard Things With God, I Can Forgive With God, and The Decision That Changed My Life are all compilation books, which means each chapter is a story, mm-hmm. someone else's story, because I love telling yeah. other people's stories. And so I think you're right. There's power in that, that I tell people when I work with them on a book, just tell the story. Mm-hmm. The principles will come out. Yeah. If you just tell the story and you're honest about it, um, the reader or the listener in a podcast or whatever it is um, will feel the learning yeah. at the level they need it. And exactly. so I think there's such power in telling stories. I love that. Yeah. That's beautiful. So why don't you share your okay. story with us today? I'm excited. Well, I was thinking about this as we've been preparing to have this chance to chat face-to-face. And I was thinking, okay, what story could I share that would be uplifting? And where was a time in my life where I've really struggled to feel enough? And it's ironic that I wrote this book, You Are More Than Enough, and really battle that fear mm-hmm. and that struggle every day. Yeah. Um, I had one kind of negative review of the book and it was, it was sandwiched. So the beginning of the review was great. The end of the review was great. But in the middle, she kind of took me to the mat and was like, 
listen, you're this accomplished writer and popular speaker. If you're feeling insecure about this church assignment or mothering or whatever, then then it just makes me think, well, I should feel insecure about that. And I just thought, isn't that funny that she thinks somehow if you have this many books sold or if you've done 400 speaking events yeah. or if your family looks a certain way that somehow you're not victim of feeling enough. Yeah. And I know some really well-known, accomplished, amazing people that mm -hmm. if I name-dropped them, people would recognize what they've accomplished. And some of them are the most insecure and and that's not to say that they're not you know fabulous and they're I think Hollywood is an example of that that yeah. it doesn't really matter so it was just kind of funny that this reviewer um, I think she felt inspired by the book um, but my hope in writing it was to give evidence to readers that they would know in their brains when things are tough that they are enough yeah. and the examples I share aren't like superhuman superheroes no, they're, they're every, like everyday they're everyday yeah. people that you know, have inspired me to be like, I think there's so much on social media that gives us evidence that we're not enough. Mm -hmm. What diet should we be on? How our house should look? What our kids should be doing? Yeah. And I know in my life, there's been so many times where I've just thought, I don't, what if I finish my life and all this doing was not enough? So I was thinking about what story could I share that kind of exhibits that? Um, so my past history I have um, a teaching degree, and but the, in my soul, I always kind of wanted to just be Oprah, you know? <laughs> I just wanted right? to tell other people's stories and talk about things in a really real way, yeah. which now feels like it's being done, but I'm older, <laughs> and there was only Oprah really doing it for so yeah. long, but I, I just always have had that desire in my heart, but I wanted to be a mom, and I wanted to be a yeah. wife. And for a time, I worked with a magazine called Wasatch Woman Magazine, okay. and I was the PR director for that magazine, and um, and I did some column work writing for mm -hmm. them, and they were it was started by these women that became my dear friends, and it came to the point where the magazine was bought by a big newspaper, local mm -hmm. newspaper in Utah, and I thought, well, I'm out of a job because I have a teaching degree. Um, and they hired me to be, they offered the position of being managing editor. Mm -hmm. So I did that and it was awesome. I could take my daughter to preschool and then I'd run to the newspaper office. But this is a few years ago when telecommuting was just kind of starting. And in mm -hmm. that industry, they were used to the sales department, the graphics department yeah. to see the editor. Mm -hmm. So I would try to make an appearance. And I, looking back, I'm, I was thinking, how did I even juggle all of that? You know, I have two kids and, um, but it was working, and then I was definitely told by God in a very specific way to quit and who to hire, who my boss should hire to replace me. And I remember thinking, okay, I've trusted that voice in the past, and God knows what's around the corner. So I did. I quit. And um, that was kind of a big thing to walk away from because it took me out of some really cool experiences I was having mm -hmm. with media, with government, with other committees that I had been asked to be on and governing boards and yeah. um, but that year was important it was a time where I kind of healed and regrouped I I deal with some health issues and and it was just a year that was needed because God knew what was coming which was that my son was going to struggle with needing some extra support and I ended up homeschooling him for a year oh, wow. and so I see looking back which often that's when we yeah. see stuff is we look <laughs> back and we go oh that was preparatory right yeah 
During that time, I was told very specifically to write I Can Do Hard Things with God. The title, the cover, everything about it. And I argued with God for a long time. I was just like, do you know how many books are for sale? We don't really need books. And my, my, I didn't have a journalism degree. I didn't have an English degree. I had mm-hmm. worked in the magazine business for a while, for a couple of years, but that was the extent. Yeah. And finally that feeling would not go away. And it was, I only told my husband and my friend about it. And then one day my husband lost a job. And we had never, we had been married over 20 years. We had never been unemployed. He got skin cancer. Our dog was killed. Like we lost everything. It was a very strange, intense time for our family. And he was home to help with carpooling. By this point, my son had gone back to school into this private school that was Mm -hmm. quite a distance. So I was spending a lot of time in the car every day. And in seven months of him being unemployed, I put together the first manuscript for that first book. Wow. And I decided, okay, well, I'm going to shop it around. So I submitted it to a publisher, which is a long process. And then you sit and wait for almost nine months. It's like having a baby. Yeah. <laughs> and then they came back and said no. And I thought, well, every good writer's story, author's story has rejection letters. So yeah. this is just a part of the story. So I resubmitted to another publisher and I got a second rejection letter after months of waiting. And I almost quit. I literally thought... You know, maybe God just wanted me to have that experience. Maybe mm-hmm. he just wanted those people that I helped tell their stories to get their stories down on paper. Yeah. Maybe he didn't really. And I started to second guess. And I share this story because I think sometimes when you're being told to do something or you feel it on your heart and it's not working out, you think, well, maybe I'm misinterpreting. Maybe that's not really what I was meant to do or if, if you're not feeling successful at it, then somehow you're doing it wrong or that you weren't supposed to do it in the first place. And so I like to share this story just even if you're not trying to write a book, but whatever it is, I, um, I almost quit. And then my friend, Richard Paul Evans, he wrote the foreword for the book. He had the original manuscript for this book. I had given it to him as a gift because he had given me one of his working manuscripts for oh, one of his books. So, so I thought, I'm gonna just do a full circle thank you. And he, just when I was about to kind of put it in a drawer and forget about it, yeah. he wrote me an email and said, I read it, don't don't quit. Like, it needs to be published. So I had a friend, and she knew a contact at Covenant, and I did some edits on it because I kind of was feeling like some things needed to be changed. Mm-hmm. And I turned it in. That was September of 2013. And we ended up moving. My husband had gotten a job. We were kind of starting over, regrouping. We moved mm-hmm. into the home we're in now. And um, March of 2014, my 40-year-old sister committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And six weeks after that, my publisher came to me and said, we want to publish this book. This is significant because I had approached two other people to write stories about suicide in the original book. Mm -hmm. Both of them fell through. And when Covenant accepted the manuscript, I knew why it had not been published those other two times. The story that needed to be told hadn't happened yet. And it was my sister's suicide. And I think that's significant because I felt completely inadequate as a writer I, there are much better writers that are much more skilled out mm-hmm. there in the world. Um, but there was a message that was important that needed to be shared. 
but it hadn't really happened yet. And it's interesting because my sister was passionate about my book getting published. So the minute she passed, I thought she's going to be working on some people, you know, from the other side. Um, so I rewrote in a few months, I rewrote what is now in the book and it's the first chapter. That chapter has opened up so many opportunities for help and service in the, in the world mm -hmm. and conversations with readers, thousands of people. That story has really, all the stories in that book are amazing, but um, that story has had some life-saving aspects where I've heard from readers that were close and they had never considered what would be left behind them if they passed. Because the reality of suicide is um, it's about someone's choice, but it's only one of their choices. Yeah. You know, my sister was amazing. She had 40 years of amazing choices. Mm -hmm. um, but she had always struggled with some of these issues. Um, but she was an awesome basketball player. She played the drum. She was super loyal. If you had her as a friend, her friends that are listening to this will know. It's true. They, they still, it's been four years now, they miss her yeah. because she had an impact. She loved dance parties. So at her funeral, we had a dance party. That's so fun. Um, but I, I think about that often when I'm feeling like everything that I'm trying, I'm hitting a wall. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this isn't working. Why isn't it working? And I realized that at any point along that journey, if I had gone to God, which I did, like, did you really want me to write a book because it's not working out? Yeah. He kept reassuring me in small ways, like Richard emailing me or mm -hmm. other people would step in and encourage that I was supposed to do it, but it wasn't working because some he couldn't tell me your sister hasn't committed suicide yet. Right? Right? <laughs> right? I mean, I share that story all the time because I'm thinking, you know, what would, what, how often do we go to God and we're like, this isn't working. And if he told us the full picture, which sometimes we think we want, like yeah. if he would just give us a clue, then we would know it's all going to work out. Yeah. Well, really what, what hadn't happened would have destroyed me. Right. It yeah. almost destroyed me when it It'd did. Unbelievable. Happen. Unbelievable. Right. And it has become kind of a platform that I always talk about it. If, if an organization asks me to speak and they're a banking organization, I say two things. One, I'm going to talk about God. It doesn't have to be religious, religion specific. Mm -hmm. And two, I'm going to bring up suicide somehow. Um, it's not all I write about or speak about, but it's crucial. And I think, especially with your podcast, mm -hmm. the theme of, am I really enough? This is what I often share. Suicide is about getting to the point where you think at some level the world will be better without you, yeah. which is a big fat lie. So if any of your listeners are struggling with those feelings and statistically speaking, the reason I always talk about it is literally everyone is touched by it. Either there's yeah. someone that, that, that is specifically struggling with anxiety or depression mm -hmm. or they've lost someone. Mm -hmm. And then it opens this vortex within families and friend groups of it's now an option. Yeah. So um, I, I feel like it's it's a life and death topic that we have to start talking about. Mm -hmm. um, I get to speak to youth a lot. And I often bring this up because, you know, a teenager has not a fully developed frontal cortex. Right. So whatever's happening in high school, I remember in high school thinking, you know, this is my whole life. This is how I'm always going to be. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, you know, that's not true. You know, yeah. the truth is that, you know, the most popular kid doesn't necessarily stay popular for 30 <laughs> years. And sometimes the kids that feel the most rejection, um, bullied, left out. Um, I remember going to a, one of my class reunions 
the kid that never spoke to anyone, never had a girlfriend, never had, was a now um, well-known um, doctor with all the money in the world and married to a model, you know? <laughs> and I thought, gosh, if I had known then what I knew, if I knew now what I knew, had known, if I had known then what I know now, I would have stopped being so kind of hard on myself that I had to have it all figured out yeah. or that whatever was happening socially or physically to me at the time was going to be how it was always going to be. Yeah. But if you talk about suicide for a 40 year old woman, right. right, she had spent a lifetime of fighting against this and that's mm-hmm. a different kind of issue. But at the core, it boils down to hope. Okay. And the hope is not a feeling. Hope is a choice. And I've, I've only come to know that from a friend of mine that's a therapist. And she described it to me as hope is choosing the next plan B. Knowing that plan A isn't going to work out. So if we're going to have a conversation about you are more than enough, or I am feeling enough, or I'm strong enough to do hard things, or whatever it is, getting up with the baby all night, or your marriage is falling apart, or you've gained 50 pounds and you, you see everyone on Instagram losing weight eating keto chocolate cake. <laughs> And they cooked it in their Instapot. Sorry. I don't need to be rude to all my Instagram friends. but And they're all going to Hawaii on vacation. Mm-hmm. And their, their houses, houses look like... white and perfect. White with the gold handles when you've just built your house with all the silver ones, right? Whatever yeah. it is, right? Yeah. There's all this evidence that somehow... Like you're not measuring up and you're not, you know, you're not whole and complete because you don't own an Instapot or whatever it is. And, and I just think, you know, if you layer on top of that depression or anxiety, and if you have a chronic issue of that, like you've been fighting that forever, that's a very dangerous place to be. So I would just say my, my biggest takeaway, um, is, is that when my sister died, I had to get super clear about my own broken parts. That's what I call them. Right? I had to get super okay with them. Yeah. Because I'm a perfectionist at heart. I've always been. I'm the oldest. I Mm -hmm. thought it was my job to save my mom who had gone through a divorce and my sister who had faced some really big challenges. She had been sexually abused. She had a learning disability. She dealt with depression and anxiety. Well, your listeners out there, probably everyone has one of those things, if not a combination. Right. And they may not be suicidal, right? right? But for her, she just got tired. So I would just say to any of your listeners out there that are in that place where you're just tired, you're not a 16-year-old that's like, I didn't get asked to prom, or an 18-year-old that didn't get into the college of your choice, which right. I'm not trying to minimize those feelings, mm-hmm. but that's a different conversation. Yeah. If you're a, you know, your demographic probably tends to be women that are trying to raise kids and yeah. figure it out and get to the gym and then make their house look a certain way and have their marriage be good and whatever it is, it's easy to start to think, well, I don't, I don't feel hope. Nothing's changing. Nothing's getting better. And I know for my sister, that was the truth for her. The distortion was the world's going to be better if I'm not here, that I'm a burden. Right. And I'm going to say to your listeners, that's a lie. You're not extra. We need you. And you're not a burden. We're not going to be better without you. None of us. Um, if we went into my basement, there's a broken rake hanging on the wall, and I've shared this mm-hmm. publicly a lot. And it's and it's a it's a reminder to anyone in my family or in my home, which you know, there's a lot of teenagers that go down mm-hmm. in that basement, and it offers an opportunity to have a conversation. 
everybody has a broken part, a thing that makes us look like not perfect or whatever that is. But the reality is my husband could pull that rake off the wall and go weed with it. It would still work. He can't take it back to Home Depot. <laughs> they can't sell it because the handle's broken, right? Yeah. Well, I just find it more interesting. Actually, it's kind of a piece of art to me. It's beautiful. It always starts a conversation and people want to know, like, why do you have a rake on your wall? And I, and we, I hung it up after Meg's suicide for that exact reason. I wanted a, a symbol, a reminder that was super clear that in this family, we do broken parts. I don't know I anyone that. walking the earth that doesn't have something that yeah. is like, gosh, if I could just fix this, if I could just do this better, you yeah. know, then somehow I'd be happier, the world would be happier, everyone would be better. And the reality is, is, is to me, the beautiful part of life is that none of us have that. Now, listen, yeah. I'm awesome with your broken part. You know, like I loved my sister. I would have her back today. With all of her struggles, all of the things about her that were hard or that weren't easy or that made it harder for other people, mm-hmm. I would trade that in a heartbeat to yeah. have her back, right? Um, but the reality is when I look in the mirror, you know, I'm not so cool with my own, you know? Yeah. I, I'm not so okay. So when the book wasn't getting published and I kept failing, quote unquote right. failing, um, I love the idea that hope is the next plan B. And I almost quit. You know, mm-hmm. I almost didn't do the next step, which was the next plan B, which was submitting it for a third time. Mm-hmm. And that breaks my heart because I would have missed out on the last three and a half, four years of some amazing opportunities. Yeah. And I don't mean amazing as in TV and travel. And I've had that to me. The most amazing thing is I call them for the one, the letters from readers yeah. that are like your book or your YouTube video or I heard you speak, mm-hmm. and it just gave me permission to be okay with who I am today, but it also it gave me strength to have some faith to go forward. Right. And I almost quit because it wasn't I wasn't feeling enough at this thing. And listen, I still have to be super careful. There's always authors selling more books. Mm-hmm. There's always speakers getting paid big money. I don't do a I don't do a lot of paid events. I do a lot of donated time events and mm-hmm. and some paid events. And if I'm not careful, I get into comparison. And all of a sudden, I'm like, well, wait, maybe I'm not enough at this or this. Or I look at my kids and they get older. I have a 20 year old. And that's a weird stage of parenting because (laughs) they're going to start making their own choices. And then you wonder, did I do a good job as a mom? Because now my adult child is making this other decision, right? (laughs) Right. So I have to to check myself every day. Mm -hmm. And I have to be super clear um, about the fact that I do, I believe when I'm teaching, first Mm -hmm. of all. Right. And then number two, when I get really confused, I have friends I call. Mm-hmm. And I am super honest with them about how vulnerable I'm feeling, how inadequate I'm feeling, how overwhelmed I'm feeling, how mm-hmm. distorted my thinking is. And yeah. I get off social media, you know, I, yep. I share when prompted and then I get off. I don't wait around to see how many likes and, and yeah. scroll because all yeah. of a sudden I call it mom porn because it's <laughs> seriously, it's that. scroll, scroll, scroll. Yeah. And all of a sudden you don't even notice it, but all of a sudden I'm like, wait, I was feeling pretty good about myself. A minute ago. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, what changed? And it's yeah. almost just this slight little veering off to the left. And usually it's because I've glanced at some image, right? Someone's post and it's their perfect post. Yes. <laughs> and it creates this little chain in my head. Yeah. You know, like it and I don't even think I don't even think I'm being critical of myself or I'm being jealous. 
right? I'm just slightly like, huh, oh, wait. Oh, they did that? Oh, what? When was the last time? Oh, wait, we're not planning a good spring break vacation. or You know what I'm saying by that? Yeah. Like, what? They've been to Hawaii how many times this year? Like, I've never taken my kids yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I can follow the chain back if I stop and recognize that something is sunk inside of me or I start to feel a heaviness mm-hmm. or I feel like um, a, a change in the light yeah. around me. And if I'm being aware and if I'm being present, I stop at that moment and go, okay, when did this start? And usually <laughs> it started with a comparison. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and oftentimes social media is perfect for sharing good stuff and it's also perfect for snagging. Yeah, it is. It just sucks you in a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's a time waster or filler, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's a trap. Yeah, it's so true. I love that analogy yeah. of it. Yeah. It's it's a great tool. Like so many things. It's a so great, great tool if used properly. Yeah. And if we're aware of how we're using yeah. it and what we're using it for. And I feel so grateful that I have it because it has allowed me to connect and share a message mm-hmm. I hope that's helping the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it also allows me to connect with family that doesn't live nearby. Exactly. And, you know, I do a lot of events where I'm a keynote for an hour and that's it. Mm-hmm. But it allows me to keep having conversations with people that exactly. I meet once, yeah. you know, in some location and then we can connect. But if we're not careful and we're not present and we're not super aware of where, I know where my weak spots are, right? I know yeah. where I don't get snagged by. I don't know, fancy cars. That's not a big deal for me. Like, yeah. it, I'm, I'm cool with that. But there's other things that are my tender spots, right? Mm-hmm. That are my weaker areas that if I'm not super aware, mm-hmm. then it's pretty easy for me to, to go into some self-judgment and immediately I'm not enough. Yeah. Immediately. And I think it's important to take those moments and flip that around. Yeah. And say, it's okay. Like, it's okay that we're not great at everything. We're not supposed to be, right. like you were saying... But I think it's important to say, well, I am good at this. Like, I'm doing okay. And we don't have to be perfect. We yeah. we can be exhausted mothers trying to do piles and piles of dirty laundry that never gets finished, it seems like, you know. And whatever we can accomplish that day, we just have to be like, you know what? I did the enough. best I could. Yeah. And so that's okay. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you would say that because um, I remember thinking um, just... As I was working on this book, You Are More Than Enough, I remember thinking, what is my goal? I kept trying to come back to what is the purpose of this? What is what is it that I need? And I hope I, I, I've heard back from enough people that it feels like the girlfriend that's having the conversation with you. And that's that was my intention. Because I don't talk to my friends the way I talk to myself. Mm-hmm. But I, I appreciate that I have friends that are super honest with me that yeah. can give me evidence, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't just say, oh, you're so awesome, right? When I call them a disaster in my, and I've pushed myself into what I call the pit, mm-hmm. right? They're really good with specifics. I like specifics. Yeah. This book was written with specifics. You know, yeah. I am not a seamstress. I have a mother-in-law that's amazing. Me I'm too. not a great cook. <laughs> I don't even like it anymore. I've been doing it for 27 years for a family and I'm kind of tired of it. Yeah. And it's so easy for me to like, once again, get triggered by other moms who are awesome at it. Yeah. And I have only one child at home right now and she's pretty self-reliant and a husband (laughs) and I have a busy speaking schedule and writing schedule and things like that. And I can tell that once in a while I'm like, well, to be a good mom means 
I do these many meals and yeah. they have this many organic vegetables in them. <laughs> That's not me. Yeah. And my husband's awesome about reflecting back truth and so are my these key friends, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll say, that's not what you're on earth to do right now, right? Yeah. So I pray that my daughter's getting the nutrients. I make sure she has vitamins every day, right? <laughs> um, but but I think your point is well taken that um, I see so often moms, specifically moms, and I really wrote this to a woman's heart because mm-hmm. it's funny when reporters e- interview me about this book, if they are male, they kind of look at me like they don't quite know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but That's when funny. female reporters ask me about this book, they get it in two seconds. Yeah. Oh, I need this book. Men look at me like, what What are you talking about? And I'm not saying there aren't men out there that are really struggling to feel like they're good enough providers, good enough yeah. dads. You know, they want to lose weight, whatever it is. But as women as, as, as a whole, mm-hmm. we're much more vulnerable to yeah. this kind of... I have to be great at everything thinking. Yes. You know, yes. my kids, when they were growing up little, I have this book called Grover's Mommy mm-hmm. from Sesame Street. I love it. And I love this book, but I realized it kind of traumatized me as a mom. It's Grover's Mommy is a mechanic. She fixes his bike. Grover's Mommy is a seamstress. She makes his Halloween costume. Grover's Mommy's a baker. She makes this beautiful, like, birthday cake that's, you know, mm-hmm. five... Yeah, five tears. You know, Grover's mommy's an accountant. She's paying all the bills. And I realized, I see the point of the book was trying to show that moms are doing a lot of stuff and they're filling all these roles. Mm-hmm. But I think as women, we genuinely believe at some level we should be great at everything. Yeah. You know, that's what's required to keep our families together, yeah. to be enough. And mm-hmm. I've come, I've had to get to a place where I think, when you're over 45, especially, it gets a little bit easier. You know, I don't, my daughter doesn't get a homemade Easter dress. And I don't do her hair fancy with those cool braids. Thank God she was given curly hair because <laughs> she does much better at doing her hair than I do, right? Yeah. Um, and she's she's pretty good at reminding me, you know, Mom, you're awesome the way you are. She's, I'm thankful I have a daughter because I love my son, but he doesn't, He's just now reflecting back to me because he lives in Africa, right? Right. Now I'm awesome because he lives <laughs> on the other side of the world. But like, oh, look at all these things you did for yeah. me. Yeah. So I hope this book, I hope podcasts like yours, I hope in my speaking, I think there are really good um, influencers out there right now that mm-hmm. are sharing evidence that yeah. give us permission that we do have enough to do this. You know, yeah. I share one example in the book of enough um, patience and it was the week I was writing the book on patience right Mm -hmm. I come around the corner my neighbor across the street she loves that I've put her in this book and I talk about it now (laughs) on media all the time she is laying on the front lawn flailed out on the grass and I pull up thinking what she's Whitney's lost her mind and (laughs) and then she stands up and she's acting she's acting crazy like her arms are flailing and her husband is there and I just start laughing and I pull up and I'm like, are you okay? And she, I can hear as I roll down my window, her kids or someone is screaming from inside the house. So she relates to me and I shared in the book, you know, what kind of transpired where this huge meltdown has happened. And she's trying to share with her husband the backstory on why everything is the way it is. And I put it in the patience chapter because to me it was the greatest example of did she have enough patience? Well, I think what do we normally define patient mommies looking like? They stay there. 
They hold the kid. They hug them. They're calming them. No. She locked the door, went outside, and laid on the grass for everyone's safety. Because as a mom, she was at her limit. So for me, that's an example of having enough patience. She was enough. But what does that look like? It was that she removed herself. Yeah. Mom time out. Yeah. So I think if we would take that example in every area of our lives, being enough, what does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean that you never lose it? You never emotionally eat? You never, you know, overspend? You never oversleep? You never have a messy house? Whatever it is. And I just don't think that's true. I don't think so either. Yeah. And I love Brene Brown. I use her. I think it's the very first um, page. It says, no one belongs here more than you from braving the wilderness. And I think that's the truth. The end of the day, we're all afraid that we're not enough. We're afraid we're going to get to the end of life and it will be like a big stamp of fail that no matter all of our doing, mm-hmm. it wasn't enough. And the reality of, of, for me anyways, in the work that I'm doing, is that it becomes an issue of life or death. If we don't start to believe that everyone belongs here, mm-hmm. wherever you're at, whatever place you're at, yeah. and that there's not one right way. You know, my kids need this kind of mama. And guess what? I I tell my son, especially, I was never a mom before I was your mom. Right? Right? (laughs) And I'm the firstborn in my family. My mama was never a mama before she was my mama. And her mama left when she was seven. So who was going to help her learn it? Right? So I, I, I like to say to myself all the time, I do better when I know better. And sometimes I still don't do better, even when I know it's better, true. right? Sometimes, sometimes I still decide to take the harder path yeah. or I decide to struggle. And in those moments, I'm so grateful for the friends that reflect back to me that they love me right where I'm at. Mm-hmm. But I hope for your listeners that maybe don't feel like they have that trusted friend. That's why I write the books that I write, you know? Yeah. I wrote a book on forgiveness with really hard forgiveness stories. I wrote books about harder things because I know that for me personally, sometimes the biggest struggles are so private. Yeah. I can't tell anyone, you know? And I know that I hear from a lot of readers that they sit by themselves with one of my books and those people become their best friends because it validates them. Yeah. And that's what I love what you're doing is because podcasting also can reach the private corners of your closet when no one else knows what's really happening, Mm -hmm. you know? I think yeah. sometimes it's great. I mean, not to take away when there's cancer, people, we were talking about this, right? People can yeah. step in and say, how can we help this family? Yeah. But when you're having a marriage struggle or depression or your kid is yeah. is um, really struggling with maybe addictions mm-hmm. and you're trying to keep privacy for people, but yeah. it's weighing you down, yeah. then what do you do? And exactly. then you start to think, well, I'm the only one. This is only happening in our family. And so I think podcasts like this and... And hopefully the work that I'm doing, it reaches those people that are in those pivotal moments where I've been there too. Right. I remember after that year that was challenging with my son, I talked to one other mother that at the same time, our sons ended up being good friends, which is funny. They were both struggling that same year and we were both doing it very privately. And that's when I knew I needed to write that first book because I thought, well, if I had just known... There was right. one other mother. Someone understood me. Yeah. It would have given me strength yeah. to keep showing up in patience with this yeah. teenager that was struggling. And I didn't know how to help him. He didn't want his mom to save him and all that, right? It would have felt so much less like I was failing 
just yeah. to know, wait, this isn't, I didn't like, it's there's not, not a curse. You. Yes. And it's not just him. Yes. So I think there's, there's such power in telling stories for that reason alone, right? Yeah. Because I think we, we are wired for connection. Mm-hmm. We are not yeah. wired as human beings to be on an island by ourselves Mm -hmm. and I think what's great about social media is we have a platform to connect but the damage is I don't know if it's really necessarily feeling us more more connected with each other because it's this quick like like this post this it's not this face-to-face thing it's not interaction yeah as much yeah and very rarely are we posting our disasters you know yeah yeah or our struggles or our ambiguous um, questions about, you know, I don't know how to help this kid. I don't know how to help my health. I don't know how to, you know, I, I remember I've had a journey with lupus and one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from having chronic illness is realizing I couldn't do everything. You know, there was limited Mm -hmm. amount of energy and strength every day. And so I had to be super clear with God. I remember early on, I was newly married. We were trying to finish college, both of us, and I was super sick. And I had no insurance. I had a heart condition with lupus. Um, It was a painful time. And um, I remember thinking, okay, I have this much energy today to do laundry and maybe homework. Or do I have enough to go to the grocery store? And then on top of that, we both were in school. We had no money. So I only had so much money to buy certain things. And I remember one day, this powerful experience, I haven't talked about for a long time. I used to pray all the time. So much more than I had been praying. Mm -hmm. Right? And I'm a praying kind of person. Yeah. (laughs) But I would have to pray over every hour. Like, okay, what God do you want me to do today? Mm -hmm. Now what do you want me to do this hour? And I remember knowing it's time to go to the grocery store. And I knew how much money I had. And I said, okay, God, you're going to have to help me have enough to make the bills work. And that day, we needed sugar. And I walked down the sugar aisle where the flour and the sugar are in the big bags. And someone who had cut the case of sugar to put it on the shelf had used the X-Acto knife too deep. And it had sliced all of the sugar bags, right? Mm -hmm. So there was this whole aisle full of sugar pouring out. But these bags that had been sliced... And I got it for like 25 cents for this huge 10-pound awesome. bag, right? And I remember thinking, so God knew exactly that day, you know? I always, I always, um, when I speak to teenagers, I say, do you think God cares about who asked you to prom? And they're always like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, he cares. Did he care about my grocery list that day? Yeah, he cares. But more than anything, he wants to have a conversation with us, yeah. right? And so I guess if, if I was to say anything and what I hope readers get from specifically this new book, the the best way to know you're enough is to know God. Yes, I love that. When you know God, He helps you ignore the distractions. Mm-hmm. He helps insulate you against comparison. He helps you realize that He has a plan that's your plan and it's not going to be the same as your neighbor's. Mm-hmm. So your house is going to look different. Your kids are going to look different. Your hair is going to look different. <laughs> You and I live in an area of the country where that is serious because we yeah. live in neighborhoods and we go to church in communities where we kind of all know each other mm-hmm. and it's easy to feel a little Stepford wife. Yeah. Like everybody has the same wreath on their door, right? <laughs> yeah. Everyone's kids are doing soccer. What if your kid doesn't want to do soccer? I have a kid that's six seven. My son is six seven. Just He's crazy. ginormous, yeah. right? And he does love to play basketball. 
But the joke is always like, since he was little, people are like, you, you play basketball, right? You play basketball. Because he was always, you know, way taller than his age group. Right. And I used to tell him, tell him you, you're not really into basketball. You like to write poetry, right? <laughs> just to see the shock. So I think it's just, it's crucial that we find a way, whatever that is, within whatever religion you are, or maybe you don't even identify with a religion. What allows you to connect with God? Because when you sit still with him, I share this as one of the takeaways mm-hmm. in the book. If you'll just sit with him for five minutes a day and get super quiet, don't call it meditation because that scares everybody, right? (laughs) They think they have to like learn it on YouTube, Um, right? You have to have an app to teach you how to do it. I just say sit still long enough. Repeat one word if that needs to clear your mind and wait until you feel that feeling that you felt when you were little. When you would sit on your mom's lap, you would get nothing done and all felt right with the world. That's what I believe God really wants from his kids. He just Mm -hmm. wants a few minutes of our time every day. Yeah. And when we know that feeling, that becomes the compass. Mm -hmm. Then when it's like mac and cheese again for dinner, the house is a disaster, you still haven't lost any of the weight you wanted, and you you don't have enough money to go on vacation to Disneyland like everyone else is for spring break, right? You can go back to the compass, and the compass tells you what? It's okay. You're enough. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. And I love that um, the last couple months, every once in a while, I'll, I'll do what you said and I'll just take my day and I'll be like, okay, I have a kindergartner. She goes in the afternoon. And so I'll say, okay, like where can I best utilize these two and a half hours that I have? And it, there's been times where it's been amazing to see where my day has gone compared to what, you were what I thought. And things still get done. The things that needed to get done still get done. But other things get done, too, that don't really take too much time. But if I had thought, oh, maybe I'll try and do this. No, it won't fit in my schedule, you know. Yeah. But it's amazing what we can do when we... When God just, leads the day. Yeah, and when we just sit quietly. And you surrender. And ask for... Yeah. Just for guidance throughout the day to know yeah. how to best utilize your time. Yeah, I share that in the chapter, Enough Time. Mm-hmm. Um, when I start the week kind of looking at my calendar and say, is there anything I should take off, add, do different? And I've been doing it so long now, I almost just like automatically calendar that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but even more so, if I'm willing on Wednesday to abandon what I thought was going to happen and surrender the day, yeah, he always creates some amazing miracle connection, conversation, some experience. Last week, I was super jet-lagged after traveling, and it was a really busy week. And I did not know how I was going to do it. And I had to just do one day at a time, just like I learned with my chronic illness early on. And it was amazing how little hours would be carved out. Mm-hmm. Or my daughter decided she was too tired to go to something that I had to take her to. And I was yeah. all so excited to say, should we just put PJs on? Should we just watch a video and stay home that night? Yeah. Instead of showing up for something that was really good. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, Thank you. Right? <laughs> yeah. But I didn't know true. that on Monday. I didn't know how it was going to be enough for the week. Yeah. I was panicked, actually, because I knew what was coming and what I had to show up for speaking events and some media that I thought, I'm so jet-lagged. How am I going to do this week? Yeah. And God really did lead me through that. Yeah. So, you know, I keep trying to remind myself, he's done that 100% of the time, right? Yeah. You know? Just have to keep reminding myself. I know. <laughs> I know. Which is why podcasts like this are good. I believe that's why scripture is even around. Mm-hmm. Scriptures are just light, faith-promoting stories to remind us 
You know, Jonah yeah. got thrown in the whale and then got spit up on the beach, right? Right. So we, when we feel swallowed by the whale, trust God is like sending us right back to where we need to go. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, your book is amazing. Thank I'm you. almost done with it. <laughs> okay. But um, but I love it. I love the stories that you share, and they are. I feel like they really are so relatable and it's just like yeah yeah they're like over and over again you know Yay! it's just like I yes, totally. <laughs> and I love that you do the takeaways at the end and it's not like I you know sometimes you read books and you're like oh just more things to do but you know and I, I so start I that. that out at the beginning yes. this is not a self-help book and so I love that because it's just like oh yeah that is like what we've been talking about or yeah. whatever and one, I've been listening one, to it one so. little thing yeah it's on audiobook mm-hmm. for readers that really just want to listen to their books they don't want to read them sometimes it's easier I feel yeah. like as a mom yeah <laughs> my I can do I can forgive with God is also on audiobook and um I appreciate that feedback because that really was my prayer the whole time I wrote it was yeah. just how can I give women specifically women older women younger women mm-hmm. teenage girls because yeah. women set the tone when we know we're enough it's it gives permission to our kids to fill in yes. It gives our husband permission. We're mm-hmm. happier, they're happier. So yeah. I always say if you really want to fix something, make sure you're supporting the women in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. But I appreciate that that's what you have felt from it because that was my desire is just, I, we're doing so much more right than we realize. Yes. And so we true. are succeeding so much more often than we realize. Mm-hmm. And then when, on the days where it feels like it's all falling apart, I think, gosh, if we could just remember how well we really are doing, yes. that's the fuel that helps you keep going. Mm-hmm. The opposite on the other side of that coin is suicide. The yeah. truth is that's what it is. Yeah. Where you just get so tired and depleted and there's no hope and you feel like you're not ever progressing or making a difference or succeeding. And most of us, if, if not all of us, are in some way doing so much more than we think. Yes. And we're having an impact in the world just by being mm-hmm. alive. Yeah. You know? We yeah. feel that when we hold a new baby, right? Mm-hmm. Who hasn't gotten straight A's yet. Right. Hasn't emptied the dishwasher yet. <laughs> isn't training for a marathon yet, right? And we just yeah. love them because of their who they are. They're right. just, they're alive. They're a person. They're valued. They're beautiful. They're wonderful yeah. and cherished. And then we grow up and we get all these other messages that, well, you're enough if. Right. And it's totally alive. Yeah. And you and I were talking before we started this podcast about a friend of yours that passed on. I think it becomes very clear at the beginning of a life and at the end of a life what it really means to be enough. Yeah, I it's, totally it's agree. It's the middle that. where we get lost, right? Because yeah. at the beginning of a life, we're really clear of someone's worth and value. Mm-hmm. And at the end of a life, we are too. Yeah. All that other stuff, like really at the end of my life, you know, I hope my children, my family know how much I love them and my friends. Mm-hmm. If it's how many books I sold or how clean my house was, I'm going to be so sad. <laughs> You know, yeah, and yet those are true. the things that we spend so much time worrying, worrying about. about. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for mm-hmm. giving me the chance to talk about this important yes. subject. I thank you. I really appreciate it. Any chance I can to share this message and and I keep learning it every day. You know, you don't write a book and then have it all figured out. I get to keep practicing it. We all get to yeah. <laughs> it's it's good though. Right? Yeah. Practice gets us closer. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. You're welcome. And I'll link to your book. It's called You Are More Than Enough. You Are Magnificent. Yeah. And people can find me on Facebook, Twitter, 
Instagram. I have a website that's my name, which is a weird name. No one has it, Gaina Lynn, which the only good reason to have a really strange, weird name is then when you want a website, no one has it. <laughs> so it, there's always links to everything there, Perfect. my talks on CD and DVDs and other things. So. Okay, well, I'll link everyone there. And Thank you. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you so much. I it's appreciate awesome. it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Today I Am Enough. I am so grateful for Gaina Lynn and her willingness to share her stories. I hope that you have been uplifted and strengthened as you've listened to her. I have the links for all of her social media outlets and her website listed in the show notes or on my website, www.todayiamenough.com. Make sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And don't forget that today you are enough.